We've been going through the book of Colossians, verse by verse. Um, literally speaking, verse by verse. And um, we find ourselves today in Colossians chapter 1 and the very last verse of that chapter. Would you please turn um, to Colossians 1 and Although we'll be concentrating on verse 29, but uh, it makes more sense to start reading from verse 26. So Colossians 1, starting from verse 26, and the Word of God reads, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to His saints to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ, and for today's message, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Paul has presented to us in this verse, verse 26, the mystery of all mysteries. A treasure chest that was hidden from ages and generations. God in his mercy unlocked this treasure chest for us. And we stretched our hands, as it were, deep into this treasure chest and we grabbed the precious pearl of great price. And what is it? What is this pearl? What is this mystery of all mysteries? It is Christ in you. Our guaranteed future blessing. And we have come to learn how glorious it is for Christ to be in us. Think about it for a moment, brothers. Christ in you. Christ who is self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal, infinite, immutable, almighty God is in you, believer. The uncreated creator chooses to dwell in his creation. The, the sinless lives within the sinful. Every believer can say, oh, how could it be? The one who the scripture says the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain him. We choose to unlock that stubborn door of my heart and to dwell within me. Every believer could boldly say with his heart full of joy, Yes, Christ in me. Amen to that. Hallelujah. And thus, what do, we, what do we do? What do we do about that? Well, out of the abundance of the heart, the Lord says, the mouth speaks. So we read in verse 28, and it says, we proclaim Him. Please note the object of our proclamation. Our goal is not to proclaim a system of worship or policies and procedures. We'll leave that to false religions. It is not to proclaim ethics and morality. No. Nor is it that we proclaim man's achievements or intelligence. We, we leave this to the atheists who um, say in their hearts that, the, that there is no God. No, in fact, we don't even... It's not about what we proclaim. It is who we proclaim. And who is it that we proclaim? 
Well, there are many mothers who can't stop proclaiming how cute their children are or their hobbies, right? And there are men who um, love to proclaim their intelligence and their career path. But what does the Bible say? 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says, We do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus uh, as Lord. Again, Paul says, we determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And we rejoice only when Christ is magnified. Amen? Not intelligence of man. No, not personal achievement. Christ alone is our shrine of remembrance. We must have nothing else proclaimed but Christ. Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end in all our proclamation. We proclaim Him, Paul says. We're not apologetic about that. Let the whole world call us fools because they think we're proclaiming a dead, crucified carpenter. Let demons in hell be full of rage against us because to them we're proclaiming a terrifying Lord. That our unbelieving family members defame us. We're not only dogmatic about this. As Steve Lawson once said, we're bulldogmatic about it. Our primary focus in, in all of our lives is Jesus himself. And we're not satisfied unless Jesus Christ himself be the central theme and teaching and preaching and discipleship and Bible studies and fellowship in our conversations. Now, another thing that we need to remind ourselves of is please note who we proclaim Christ to. Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. We proclaim Christ to our children, to our spouses. We proclaim Him to our friends, to our brothers and sisters. We proclaim Him in the churches, in the streets, in the shopping centers. And there is no corner on this earth that we go to that we don't proclaim Christ to. All our admonition, that is, all our correction, exhortation, instructions are all rooted in Christ. And all of our teachings, that is, our explanations, our reasoning, are sprinkled and saturated by Christ, such that there is no studies, no preaching, no family devotions, except to the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we looked at this last time. What is it that we proclaim about Christ? His divinity, His majesty, His humility, His compassion and grace, His love, His lordship. He is our Savior, none others. So, Christ is in our hearts, Christ in our lips. That's what we discussed so far. And now we come to the end goal of proclaiming Christ. What is the end goal of proclaiming Christ? First point for today's message, Christ is in our purpose. In our heart, in our lips, in our purpose. And we read the first two words. It says, so that. We proclaim him so that. This is our vision. This is um, our North Star that guides the ship of our Christian life, sailing towards that one thing, proclaiming Christ. What is it? What is our goal, our mission? So that we may, pre may present every man complete in Christ. We. We may present. That is you and I. There's every Christian that has Christ in him. This is our employment to pursue. This is the supreme goal for every born-again believer. There is no job vacancy in the kingdom of God. That's what we need to understand. 
Jesus came and he said he came to do his father's business. And we too ought to continue in that same calling. It's a family business. And our father is pleased when he sees his children working in his field. Yes, some may be plowing, others may be watering, and others yet again may be harvesting. But the point is this, no follower of Jesus Christ should be unemployed. Right? No one. No matter if you're 12 years old or 100 years old. And what is our occupation? Let's read again. May present every man complete in Christ. Present every man complete in Christ? What does this mean? It just basically means that we want to help every man to grow and to be mature in Christ, to be blown away by our Savior. That's our goal. That's our purpose. To put in another way, it is to have every man's identity, his thoughts, his actions be soaked into Christ, completely soaked into Christ. We are to admonish and teach every man until such that Christ is transformed. The image of Christ is imprinted in the heart and in the faces of every person we come in contact with, such that when I, when I speak to anybody, I'm not really speaking to them. I find myself speaking to Christ. That's what it's meant to be. Now, I come to this point, I want to make a bold statement. And I want to say to you that this is an axiom now. That the more we enjoy Jesus Christ, the more we will find ourselves wanting to present every man complete in Christ. Now, what is the connection? What do you mean by that? <clears throat> Why is it that the more we do enjoy Christ, the more we will want to uh, find every man complete in Christ. Well, when, when, when a soul is intoxicated by the beauty of our Savior, will be gripped by His majesty, by His humility, blown away by His grace. When... When we delight in the fact that Christ is reigning as King in me, in you, in us, in our hearts, you know what's going to happen? The more we will want to cherish Him. And the more we will want to cherish Him, the more we will say, it is not enough. Not enough. Not enough for what? Not enough for this King Jesus to reign in his heart. And we would say to him, Jesus, you are worthy to rule in the heart of my family members, of my friends. You are worthy to rule in this heart and in that heart. And we will not rest until every man that we come in contact with love whom our soul loves and worships. Whom our soul worships. Amen? Secondly, the reason why there is a strong connection between our enjoyment of the Lord and the fact that we would want every man to be complete in Christ is that this is a, another axiom that is equally important, perhaps maybe even more important, is that our joy in the Lord, we need to understand this, our joy in the Lord increases as we, when we share that joy with others. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 20, 19 and 20 says, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. What Paul is saying here is that my glory, my crown, meaning my pride and joy, is for you to stand before the Lord Jesus in the last day as Jesus audits your life and as Jesus would say to you, 
well done, good and faithful slave. And when, when that happens, your joy is my joy. Your glory is my glory. In other words, it's so crucial to understand this point. That our joy in the Lord, we need to see it as though it is like a, a candle flame, if you like. What happens when you hold that candle flame and keep it to yourself? Eventually it will shrink. It will diminish by time, right? But if we faithfully share this joy of the Lord with others, the more we give it away, the more it will enlarge and multiply. So what is the point of all of this? The point is this. You want to have your joy in the Lord as puny as a little seedling? Do nothing. Go home, read your Bible next to your fireplace and watch grass growing between your toes. And your joy in the Lord will be just as little as a seedling. But do you want your joy in the Lord to grow and become like a mighty green forest where birds of the air come flying and finding shelter and nest into it? Or how about this? How about we get into our Father's business and present every man complete in Christ? This is our purpose. Christ is in our goal in life. That's the first point. Second is Christ is worthy of our effort. He's worthy of our pain and suffering. He's worthy of that. What do I mean? Let's continue reading. He says in verse 29, For this purpose also... For this purpose also, what purpose? This purpose, that is, in order to present every man complete in Christ. What do I do? It says, I labor striving. Now, please note the change of the personal pronoun, right? Uh, Paul moves here from the we, the plural. We proclaim him, we admonish, we teach every man, we present every man. And now he says, I labor striving. Now, why is this important? Because Paul here is um, in a position where he wants to lead by example. He, he wants to invite you in and to um, check his life, to do an inventory check in, in his struggles. He's basically saying, let my life be an open book for all of us to read and learn from. Why? So that you too would follow his lead. He gives us this great cost and he puts this, whatever it is that he puts behind fulfilling this great calling. He says, labor striving. Let's have a look at labor. Labor first, what does it mean to labor? This is a strong Greek word and it basically means to work to the point of exhaustion. To work hard to the point that you feel fatigued. Paul says to the church of Corinth, I spend and be spent. He says to the church of Thessalonica, I labored day and night for the sake of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 11, he gives us a snippet in what it really means that he would labor. He says in verse 27, I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. In other words, in order to present people complete in Christ, it's not going to happen sitting in a, a fluffy beanbag watching some Christian documentary. How you going, brother? I've just gone through the entire Left Behind series, you know. Presenting every now, it's not going to happen this way. Labor, fatigue, exhaustion. Brothers, this demands a cross to bear, sacrifices to be made, a race to run. 
Now, this demands wars to be won. I've read many books and many biographies, and I can tell you, I can't think of anything more laborious to undertake any task to undertake than, than for each one of us to do his part in presenting every man complete in Christ. For those of us who are gifted in teaching, it will require countless hours of studying the Word, doing due diligence and studying hard, endless time and preparation, hard work in, in counseling, working hard in Sunday school ministry, and one-on-one witnessing and door knocking. And even for those among us who um, are behind the scene, faithfully laboring in the shadow, out of the spotlight, it's going to require, you know, those, those who are preparing a place of worship so that Christ will be proclaimed. Setting up sound system week by week, setting up schedules, preparing announcements, bills to be paid, floors to be vacuumed. So labor is serve and to serve and to serve much more until for Christ's sake there is no more energy left in us. Martin Luther says of him that he worked so hard that many days, according to uh, his biographers, he fell into his bed. Just plunked. Dill Moody's bedtime prayer on one occasion, it says, as he rolled into bed, was, Lord, I am tired. Amen. John Wesley he rode 60 to 70 miles, um, uh, many days of his ministry, and he preached an average of three sermons a day. Talk about labor. Brothers, we are two, must throw all that we got, everything that we've got. In other words, to summarize all that is to say, to present every man complete in Christ, it will require our blood, sweat, and tears. Now, if you think this is too much, wait, there is more. Because Paul did not just say labor. He said labor, and what is the next word? Striving. This is the next step. This is harder than labor. In Greek word, this is the word agonizomai. I hope I pronounced it right, which means agonizing. Agonizing. Woman in labor. Agonizing to give birth to that new baby. This word agonizing, it's a term that is used to be used in the ancient athletic arena where Paul here wants us to um, imagine an athlete that would have the strictest diet. And it's like we want to see him running on that track as he's competing. His face is full of determination and sweat coming out of him. Every muscle straining with effort widening his strides, trying to outdo his previous record. And this athlete that is running and agonizing is enduring so much in intense workout and training. And he's, he's pushing through the pain, pushing through the, the pressure. And all the while, as he's running on that track, his, his eyes are fixed at that finishing line. So also striving is that picture that speaks of Paul's commitment, dedication, toiling, endurance, as he's presenting every man complete in Christ. Nothing else comes any close to the demand emotional and mental strain as we embark upon this task. 
Now, if we want to flesh that out, when Paul said striving, agonizing, I strive, I agonize, what do you mean by that? What are the examples that, that Paul had in mind that he thought through as he's penning down these words? Let's take a quick tour in Paul's life. Let's just have a look at some areas where he penned down and fleshed out those strivings. 2 Corinthians 11, I'm going to read verse 23 onwards to 29. It says, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. And night and day I have spent in the deep, that is in the, in the water, in the, in the sea. I have been in frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, and dangers among False brethren. Verse 28. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? This is... This is so foreign from the Western culture mentality of what it means to be a Christian, is it not? Where, where a Christian would just close in onto himself with his own little children and his own wife, and he says, this is, be, this is my beat, this is my life. Look what he says to the elders of the church of Ephesus in Acts 20, verses 22 and 23. He says, now behold, so he gathered all the elders together and he's talking to them. And he's saying, now behold, <clears throat> bound by the spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 23 except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Striving for Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. 2 Corinthians 4.10, he says, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. Brothers, we are too invited to run that same race. Please don't throw this away and excuse yourself and say, oh, he's just an apostle. Brothers, we are talking about his passion and the sacrifices he was so willing to make for Jesus' sake. And we've got to embrace that. We've got to hear him say to you, to me, imitate me as I also imitated Christ. We are called to compete, laboring and agonizing. To buffer our bodies. To push, push through pains. Pain of rejection, mental pain, emotional pain. To embark upon his glorious purpose, it will come at a cost. It will require that we would be set apart from the world. We will be looked down upon by many, many people. Brothers, as Peter says, count it no strange, brethren. Count it no strange to face mockery, ridicule, slander, 
Even hatred, when we're faithfully fulfilling this purpose, will be scorned and despised even by the closest people to us. Our words, our actions will be twisted. We'll be accused of being judgmental, fanatics, radicals. We'll suffer betrayal, plotting. And while we bear those crosses on our shoulders, we are to labor to the point of exhaustion. That's what Paul is saying here. His life was a pattern for every person who believes in Christ. Read 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is not an easy road. It's too much to bear, is it not? How do we do this? How do we do that? We would ask the Apostle Paul, Paul, how did you endure this? How is it that you fought the fight and even at the end of your life, as an old man imprisoned, you said, I have fought the good fight. How do you have your tank always full and never run out of fuel, Paul? You know what Paul would say? How do I do it? You got it all wrong. What do you mean? Well, it's not I. It's the grace of God in me. Look what he says. We're continuing on. And we come to the third point. Christ's power is in me or in us. Look what he says. Striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Paul says here that my life is a miracle. It's not me. It's God's power flowing through me. This word power, here is another strong word. Um, I think it's pronounced energia, which we get the word energy from. Energy. There is this supernatural, unlimited, omnipotent, divine energy that is surging through Paul, like, like a mighty river. Can you fathom the wellspring of, of strength that was surging through Paul's veins that turned him into this, this amazing engine that was making him continue to, to press on and push forward toward that upward calling, as he says in Philippians. For Jesus' sake. He says, according to his power, which mightily works within me. Again, another strong word. He's just gone to his vocabulary and he reached with his hand as far as he could. And he used the strongest words in his verse. Mightily, meaning dunamis, where we get the word dynamite from. He says, there is this explosion of, of energy that is bursting in my chest, igniting my soul for Christ as I'm given to the proclamation of Christ. The Spirit of God is working in my heart, as though He says, electrifying my mind, my emotion, my will, and He's bringing me endurance. It's not I. It's the power of God in me. Beautiful. It reminds me of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 8, where he spoke of himself and he said, For each time I speak, I cry aloud, I proclaim violence and destruction. Because of me, the word of Yahweh has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. Here is agonizing man. Here is a man who's laboring and, and he's pushing through the pain. And look what he says. But if I say, I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name. Just, it's just too much for me to bear, in other words. When I speak God's word to people who do not want to hear it, it's just too much for me to bear. But when I say that, then what happens? Look what he says. Look what he says. Then in my heart, it becomes like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. 
And I'm weary of holding it in. I cannot endure it. So much power of God in me. What's he saying here? He's saying that the strength that God supplies is like a flame of fire that no affliction, no earthly pain, no disappointment of life would ever be able to extinguish. Beautiful. This is the bottom line of the bottom line, brothers and sisters. This is precisely how God wants to be glorified in us. How? When he gets a bunch of Weak men, weak women. And though they may have unspeakable pain. And they are hurting. And there are disappointments and betrayal galore. And yet, they still labor and strive to the end. Why? Because it just shows to the world and to the angels and even to demons that the excellence of power is not of us, but of God. Because it shows that there is supernatural, unexplainable energy surging through us. The life of God in the soul of man. There's so much power of God in you, believer. You think you're old? Moses only begun his ministry when he was 80 years old. Think you're too young? Little boy Samuel heard the voice of God when he was little, perhaps 11 or 12 years old. David killed a lion. He fought against Goliath when he was just a teenager. How old was Sarah when she gave birth to Isaac? We've been going through this in the men's theological studies. How old? You forgotten already? Exactly. That's God's power. Is this you? Do you sense God's power in you? Are you capitalizing on that? What do you do when you face disappointments? Do you sit in a corner licking your own wounds? Do you have this chronic spiritual fatigue? When, when you're hurting or when you face trials? Is your energy for God quickly drained? And, and, and you make it your role in the kingdom of God is to sit in a corner and play dead fish? Is this you? Or do you sense the power of God to the glory of God surging through your veins? And, and you want to push yourself to, to the limit and, and to even beyond that in, in serving others. Do you have that commitment as George Whitfield when he said, I'd rather wear out than to rust away? Do you have that in you? How do we do that? How? How do we make use of this power of God in us? Ah, this is it, brothers and sisters. This is why Paul said, Christ in you is rich and a, a glorious mystery. Oh, if God would just unravel that for us and understand the beauty of knowing what it means. Christ in you. Why? Because Christ in you is the source of this power. The more we give our minds and affections and will to uh, what it means that Christ is in you, the more God's power will flow through us. So how do I apply this? Keep it simple today. How do I apply this? Let us reflect on what it means that Christ in you one more time. Yes, we did speak about it a little bit two, two messages ago. 
I want to reflect on it again, but way of application. How do we apply this in our lives? First, Christ in you, meaning that you reflect in the fact that he identifies himself with you. That you must remember that he's always with you. He's in you, meaning he's always with you. What does it mean? It means that he knows your pain. He feels your hurt. He understands. He sympathizes with you. He is in you, meaning he will never leave you nor forsake you. Secondly, Christ in you, meaning he is yours. In you, meaning you possess him. He is yours. All of him is yours, forever yours. All that he is and all that he has is yours. And you must capitalize on the fact that he's accessible to you 24-7 and the fact that he's totally yours if you would want to capitalize on the power of God in your life. Thirdly, Christ in you. Again, it means that you must experience Christ. You can, and therefore you must. Can I say something? In one hand, thank God. To be a Christian, it does not mean that you experience Christ every day of your life. It does not mean that. But at the same time, thank God that to be a Christian, it means you can experience Christ in your life. You can. And so you must personally, consciously enjoy Jesus' presence. If you want the power of God to be active in your life, you must always taste his comfort. Always consciously swim in his grace Rest in his peace, being fulfilled in the fact that he is your closest companion. Led by his guidance. Oh, how we ought to plunge deeper and deeper in what it means that Christ is in us. Oh, how we ought, brothers and sisters, to say with the Apostle Paul, I must know him. I will do whatever it takes to know him and the power of his resurrection. We need to encounter more of experiences of Jesus Christ and see the force of these wonderful, glorious glimpses of the Son of God. See how it would impact your life. Being able to strive. Because you will come to a realization Christ, the more I experience you, experience you, the more I recognize you are worthy of my life. Fourthly, Christ in you means you must dwell in the fact that he possesses you. He internally possesses you. You are totally his, exclusively his. You must remind yourself why he's in you. Why is he in you? To do what? To be just your, your body, your pal, your friend? Yes, he's your friend. But you know what he said? You are my friends if you obey all the commandments I, I give to you. He's internally in you. And what is he doing? He's ruling in the palace of your heart. In that temple of your body, he is reigning. And you must settle to the fact that he demands exclusive access to your will. That's why he's internally living within you. He wants to transform your life. He wants to reorder your life. Reprioritize your 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 way of thinking and your values. 
to possess you internally, meaning he gives commands and you are to obey those commands internally and externally and you long to follow his rule. And you say to him, your command is my delight, my king, my lord. I boast in the fact that you are my master and I am your slave. And you have laid all your life at his disposal. And you say to him like Isaiah the prophet when he says, Here are my Lord. Send me. I don't care how far I go or how long. Or what kind of lines I have to wrestle against. So long as Christ is in me. It is well with my soul. Amen. If you're an if you're an unbeliever and you're still in your sin today, I want to practice what I preach. I want to proclaim Christ to you. And I want to say to you that your sin is too great. Your punishment is too severe. And so long as you want to cling to your self-righteousness and you're pretending that you're good when in reality and in the sight of God you are no more than a wicked, wretched, blind sinner. So long as you are committed to walking that path of destruction, I want to be honest with you and tell you that your life is an offense to a holy God. And you will meet Jesus on judgment day, in that terrible day, as he will personally pronounce your judgment and he will cast you into hell. And there forever you will be paying for all the sins that you held dearly to your chest. I pray that these words would rattle you from inside. That you understand how much you have fallen short in the sight of a, a holy God. And that you lay down your weapon against God. Weapon of self-righteousness. Trying to prove to yourself every day that you're not that bad. Yes, you are in the sight of an infinitely holy God. Oh, I pray that you would hear the voice of your conscience right now condemning you for every sin you have committed against that God. And that you come out being rattled and that you would say, Oh, what do I do to flee the wrath to come? What do I do? Here is Christ that we have been proclaiming every week. He is standing today and he's stretching his pierced hand to you. And he stands before you today as a loving Savior, a wonderful and gracious Savior, willing to accept every sinner that will come to him, no matter the great or the numerous sins that you've committed. Oh, how his arms are wide open and his grace is far more than you need. Drown yourself in His grace. This is Christ. The loving, wonderful, mighty Savior. Redeemer of mankind. Will you ignore Him today? Or would you hold on to Him? It doesn't matter. If you're a young child a middle-aged man, or an elderly woman. If you have not met Christ, here, He is here today. He's standing before you, and He wants to save you. He's reaching out to you, offer you free salvation. You don't have to work one bit to prove yourself to God. You can just simply accept Him into your life. Would you cry to God, friend? 
Would you cry to him and say to him, like the tax collector said, have mercy upon me, O God, I'm such a sinner. Would you cry out to God and say, awaken his dead soul. Awaken me, Lord. I give my life to Jesus. He can protect. He can preserve your soul. You can't do it. If you keep it, if you try to save it, you will lose it. If you hand over your soul to him as your savior, as your Lord, he will protect it. He will save it. Would you come to Christ this morning? Would you offer him your life? Don't come with with your goodness to him and say, Oh, look, I brushed a bit of pride off me. I brushed a bit of selfishness. I reckon now I'm ready to meet my Savior and tell him, Well, now you have access to, to save me. No, he will reject you. He will pass by you. No. Come to him with your sin. Come to him with your miserable, wretched life and offer it to him and say, that's all I could offer you to to you, God. That's all I could offer. Would you accept me? Wash me by your blood, Jesus. Cleanse me from my sin. He will take you in. He will wash you. He will accept you. He said, he who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Come to him, friend. And when you come, make it your purpose to present every man complete in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, a small verse full of energy, full of dynamite and power, your power. We pray, Lord, that this little flock would open their heart to you, Lord, desiring Christ to be proclaimed and wanting that power that Paul enjoyed with all the sufferings and all the, all the agony that he experienced surging through his veins. Oh, Lord, would you do the same today? You are still powerful. Your power has never diminished, never extinguished. Still remains today as it was 2,000 years ago. And we pray in this in this heathen country, a country that by and large hates you, would you, Lord, count us worthy to have your power working through us mightily so that we would be faithful to the end, proclaiming Jesus' name. In his name we pray, amen.